Good morning. Um, we are going to start in Acts 2. So if you want to open your Bibles there, we're just going to jump right in. But I'll give you like six seconds to find it. Okay, now I'm going to start. Acts 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How then is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, that place, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they had had too much wine. Uh, so when I was here to share with you guys in September, um, spoke on friendship, feel like it must have gone pretty well, no angry emails, was invited to come back. And um, the natural second sermon you should give at your home church of 10 years is on tongues. Um, or as I said to Dave when he asked me to teach on Acts 2, there's a picture. Um, but I'm actually, I'm actually like incredibly thankful to the Lord because um, I, did not I did not know what to expect and God really surprised me with what I found in this text. And so my hope is that this morning we get to experience that together, that we get to be surprised by what God has to say to us from Acts 2. Um, in all honesty, we're not going to talk that much about tongues. It's just not, that's not really what it's about. And if so, if you, like me, had a little bit of like a freak out moment when you heard me starting to read this passage, don't panic. No reason to panic. Um, but if you are curious and you want to kind of get more of that deep dive, I can recommend two great resources to you that I'll share from a little bit today. One, um, a few years ago in our Everyday Mystic series, John Mark Comer did an excellent teaching on tongues. Go and listen to it. You'll find it on our podcast on our website. Second, The Bible Project did a great episode on Acts chapter 2. Go listen to it. Both of those things will be super helpful. Today, we're going to talk about everything in Acts 2, including, but not limited to, tongues. That's my preamble. Now I'd like to pray. <laughs> Lord God, um, your word is a gift to us. Thank you that you are alive and are moving and that your word is living and can speak to us through you by your spirit. So Jesus, this morning, by your spirit, would you be with us? Would you give us ears to hear you? Would you give us hearts that are soft? And would you move in us and through us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So before we get too much into the text, I wanna fill in some of the background of what we're reading because I think you will find that it is incredibly helpful. One of the first things we read in chapter two is this mention of Pentecost. Pentecost is a Greek word. It's the Greek name for a Jewish feast. So the Jewish feast, the name of it is Shavuot. Shavuot means weeks. This is the feast of weeks. Pentecost means 50th. Shavuot weeks, okay, you have those two things. 
In the Old Testament, God instructed the people of Israel that seven weeks and a day after Passover, so 50 days, 50th, you got it? Um, they were to come from wherever they were and to bring an offering of their first fruits to the Lord. This would be at the temple in Jerusalem. So this is, the reason we do this is that God is reminding the people of Israel of his provision. And they are coming to bring this offering to thank him for his provision. One, for his provision from deliverance from Egypt when they were slaves. Two, for his continual provision of food and of resource. And most importantly here is a thankfulness for God's provision of the law. And that might feel a little bit odd, like the law is not something typically we're like, yes, law, thank you, God. But for the people of Israel, they are very thankful for the law because the law was a really important thing for the people of Israel. And the reason it's kind of part of this celebration is that it was around 50 days after they were delivered from Egypt, wandering in the wilderness, that they found themselves at the foot of Sinai and Moses went up and came down with the law. Does that make sense? Yeah, all very, very logical. So here are some reasons that the law is really important and I'll ask you to kind of like store these in your brain because they're important things. First, the law is gonna reaffirm to the people of Israel God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God made a promise to Abraham, to his son, to his grandson, I will be with you, you'll be my people, I'll be your God, I'm gonna bless the nations through you, I'm never gonna give up on you. And now after Jacob, the people of Israel are slaves for several hundred years. And if I'm a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I might be thinking like, whatever happened with that whole promise thing? Like, does that still count? Like we've been, we haven't been our own people for a long time. And so when God gives the law to the people of Israel, he's saying, I'm not done. Like this thing that I told you I'm gonna do, I'm still going to do it. Second, the law is gonna be what enables the people of Israel to live in pursuit of God's heart and his holiness and his renewal. The law is gonna be what's gonna help the people of Israel understand what God values. And it's gonna enable them to wrap their lives around those things, to know what his righteousness looks like and to live in pursuit of that. So the law is going to be what enables them to keep their end of this covenant. And finally, the law is gonna make God accessible to the people of Israel. Because, because God is extremely loving of his people, but he's extremely holy. And we don't, we, as we, as we are, don't have the righteousness to be in communion with him. But the law is going to create the structure and the system that's gonna make God be able to come and be with them. When he is, it will be in a very specific place, to a very specific person, at a very specific time. So it's God speaking to Moses and then Moses speaking to the people of Israel, or God speaking to the people of Israel through a prophet, or God leading the people through the wilderness, or God dwelling in the temple. But all of those things are going to be because the law is a, it creates the structure for them, it creates the system for them. So the law is important. We're really thankful for the law. So happy Pentecost. That's how Acts 2 starts. You have the background, so now you know what you're stepping into. And um, Jerusalem, it's a pretty small city and it's like pretty hilly. So there's people from all over the world, Jewish people from all these countries we listed, they all come to Jerusalem for Pentecost, for this feast. So the city is packed. I don't know if you guys were here in 2014, but in the same weekend, it was hardly strictly bluegrass, the Giants were in the World Series, and it was Fleet Week. <laughs> it's like that. Just everybody from everywhere, no matter where you go, just people everywhere, traffic everywhere, chaos everywhere. That's how it feels to be in Jerusalem right now on one side. On the other side, you have the disciples. The disciples 
are holed up in their house because something like 10 days ago, before Jesus ascended, in Acts 1, the last thing he said to them was, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They have no idea what that means. They don't know what they're waiting for. They don't know when it's coming. And I know exactly how they feel because I've ordered things off the internet. <laughs> there is no torture. Like when you get a notification at 7.30 a.m. that says your package will be delivered sometime before 8 p.m. You can't go to work. You can't go to the bathroom. You can't get too emotionally invested in a podcast because at any second, you have to be ready to answer the door when the package arrives. And you have like 12 and a half hours of waiting to see if it will get there. We've all been there. You know exactly how the disciples felt. I'm sure. So that's how things are in Jerusalem right now. And Luke, he's such a great author. He's like painting this picture for us. He wants us to be able to understand what we are stepping into, what the Holy Spirit is stepping into. Total excitement and chaos and busyness and on the edge of your seat waiting. That's what's happening in Jerusalem right now. And we get to verse 2. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. It fills the whole house where they're sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them are filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So let's talk about tongues. Uh, the word used for tongue here, the Greek word is glossa. It's where we get the word glossary. It's a very literal, practical word. It literally means tongue, like the one in your mouth or like a language. It's just this very simple word, tongue. They start speaking in these languages. Um, but I know that in, this, in our context, when we talk about tongues, we're often talking about something a little more nuanced. We're talking about something that involves more than just speaking a language. So I wanna pull an N.T. Wright's definition of tongues. I think this will be helpful. He says, tongues is the gift of speech, which though making sounds and using apparent or even actual languages, somehow bypasses the speaker's conscious mind. So a language that, that is real, that I didn't know that I knew, is bypassing my brain and coming out of my mouth. Well, that, pretty, that sounds like right up the Holy Spirit's alley. And we can see in the text that is the Holy Spirit who enabled them to do this. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the personal, empowering presence of God. The Holy Spirit is personal in the way that Jesus, when he was on the earth, was personal. He was able to get right in front of you and look you in the eyes and hold your hand. And he's empowering in the sense that God, the creator of the universe, omnipotent, before all time and place, is powerful and is present. And so the Holy Spirit is this like beautiful like convergence of both these personalities of God that he is able to be with you individually and be also completely like all powerful and present to the universe, which is like, should blow your mind because it blows my mind and it's mind blowing. So this is not actually though the first time we've seen the Holy Spirit in scripture at all. In the Old Testament, we have a lot of moments where God's spirit shows up. There are giant hands that write on walls. There's a talking donkey. There's like the prophets that speak on behalf of God. There's all kinds of times the spirit moves. Even in Jesus's ministry, it was the spirit who enabled him, who like confirmed his calling when he was baptized. It's the spirit who empowered him to be able to perform his miracles. It was the spirit moving in him 
that did all these things. So this is absolutely not the first time we've seen the Holy Spirit, but we've never seen the Holy Spirit like this. We've never seen the Holy Spirit move in like bulk, come out to like the masses and make, him, make himself known to all of these people in this place at one time. So can we like visualize this? So we, they're cooped up in their house. They're waiting for this like package to be delivered. They have no idea when it's coming. They have no idea what it's gonna look like. And then they're hanging out and all of a sudden like what's kind of like fire is like falling down. And then like over here, like busting out a language I've never heard before. And then I'm saying language I didn't know I knew. And I, like you guys, it's again, it's a small city. We live in a small city. I can hear it when my neighbor coughs. So like if all of this like hustle and bustle of languages is starting and then there's like a violent wind that comes through, I can probably hear that. And so like I start to come outside and be like, wait, what is going on over there? And now again, I'm the disciples and I've been waiting and now we're all speaking languages and not like busting out your like high school Spanish. Like you're fluently speaking a language that you didn't know you knew. And, you're, and the, like if I'm the neighbor, I'm not just like overhearing you telling your friend to pass you the salt. Like, you're in this other language fluently saying the wonders of God. You're like telling the story of Jesus in this language you didn't know you knew. And so I can imagine that like I might come outside and be like, what is going on over there? And a crowd starts to form. Later in the text, we'll see that there are 3,000 people who respond. So there are more than likely, more than 3,000 people who find themselves around this house. And again, I'm the disciples. I've been cooped up. I've been waiting for this. It's here. So I, like, I see all these people coming and I'm going to try to like get on the roof or get on the front lawn. And I'm going to like, I'm not going to be shy about this. I've been waiting. So all of this like incredible momentum is, is like growing and people are hearing and they're speaking all these languages. Like that in and of itself is like pretty impressive. But then you bring this like fire thing into it. And there's like tongues of fire that are like, I don't know what that looks like. I can't imagine, I guess I can. Oh, maybe like that. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, but listen, if you are someone who is familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, which all of the people who are there are, because remember, they are Jewish. They are in Jerusalem for a Jewish feast. They are very familiar with all of this. Okay. Mysterious fire means one thing. God is here and doing things. This is God leading the people of Israel through the wilderness in a pillar of fire. This is Moses being called by God by a burning bush. This is God proving himself to be the one true God, throwing down fire from heaven, consuming Elijah's sacrifice. This is God protecting Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fire with like a mysterious fourth body, coming out unharmed. So when I see... As a, Jewish, as a person of Israel, as a Jewish person, I'm standing in this crowd and I'm hearing the wonders of God in a language I understand. I'm seeing this fire. I'm confident of this one thing. God is trying to tell me something. So then we get to verse 12. They are amazed and perplexed and they ask one another, what does this mean? Like that is the right question. What is this? Right? And Peter has been chilling, like he's been cooped up for a long time. Peter, we know he's like a little, he gets hyped really easily. He's ready to go and he just cuts loose, starting in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 a.m., no? 
This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So take it, like notice, he's going to their scriptures. He's going to scriptures they've heard and they know. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'm gonna pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. I'm gonna skip down to verse 21. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This, is, this, this means this. This means this, this is God's spirit being poured out. And maybe you're asking, why is God's spirit being poured out? Peter's like, I got you. Verse 22, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Okay, just like pause for a second. Remember, they're all in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. It's a pilgrimage holiday. The last pilgrimage holiday was Passover. It was seven weeks ago. Most, if not all, of the people who are here now were here seven weeks ago. And if you were with us as a church uh, earlier last year during uh, the Passover season, we observed Passover together and we were able to see how communion that we, see, that we participate in every week comes from Passover. So Jesus being here and doing all these miracles and being crucified, that all happened when all of these people were here last. So they know about it. They've heard about it. They, some of them probably saw it for themselves. Going back, verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I mean, that kind of speaks for itself. But Peter's not done. <laughs> Peter's like, hold on, hold on. I'm going to go back to your scriptures. I just connected this dot of your scriptures and Jesus. Now I'm going to take it back. I'm going to quote David. David's like a hero. We love King David. He's like, he's a prophet. He's a man we look up to. He's one of the like establishers for our, for our nation. Like we, David, if you're going to quote him, like we're going to listen. Okay. Verse 29, fellow Israelites. Nope. Verse 25. <laughs> David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, my body will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your holy one see decay. Skipping down to verse 29. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David is dead and he's buried and his tomb is right there. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah and that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see now and hear. Like, could you give a more compelling or excellent, ex excellent explanation of who God is and what his story is and how Jesus fulfilled it? You can't. This is so solid. So when they ask, what does this mean? This is what it means. This means that the Messiah you have been waiting for has come. That Jesus is the Messiah. That we have all the salvation that we have needed and that we have waited for and, and like been hoping in anticipation for. And it means that Jesus is alive and his spirit is alive and his spirit is here with us now. The salvation you've been waiting for is here now. This is amazing. 
And this is where it's really amazing to have the context of what Pentecost is on our mind as we read this. Because we talked about the law and that we're here to thank God for it, right? But the law paved the way for what the Spirit was going to do. So where the law reaffirmed God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Spirit is going to extend that to the ends of the earth. And where the law enabled all people to like live in pursuit of God's heart and his holiness and his renewal, the Spirit empowers all people to participate with God in his holiness and his renewal and in his heart. And where the law made God accessible to the people of Israel, the Spirit is making God accessible to all people individually through Jesus. Like the, the Spirit is doing the work that God started that he carried out through his son Jesus and that Jesus said, I'm gone, but I'm not done. Like I'm not gone, but I'm, I'm going up and I'm not done. The thing about the law was that it was an external thing. The law was an outside set of rules that the people of Israel were told to, to buy into. This law that was gonna be outside of them, they needed to opt in. But God all over the Old Testament said like, I'm, I know this is going to be a challenge. I'm going to make a new covenant. And this new covenant, it's going to be different. It's going to take what is external and make it internal. In Ezekiel, he said, I'll give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. Be careful to keep my laws. You will be my people. I will be your God. In Jeremiah, he says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. We are watching these things happen in real time. As these crowds are gathering and hearing these disciples declare the wonders of God, they are literally watching God's spirit take what was an external law and make it an internal dwelling. The spirit living, being alive, moving in their souls, in their minds, in their hearts. In verse 36, we continue. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what do we do? And Peter replied, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I mean, yeah, like I think I could be done, but I have 17 minutes, so I'm gonna keep going. Um, but I'm gonna take a water break. This is the most awkward thing ever. Everybody stop and watch me drink water. Moving on. I think it's extremely appropriate that the two questions that came out of the mouths of this crowd were, what does this mean and what do we do? And I think we need to ask those questions. What does this mean 
everything we just read, this account we just read, like, what does this mean? Not in the sense of like, who cares, but like, what are the implications of this? Because this is, this is not a small deal. This is, if this is true, and we, I believe it is, and I think we is, I know we believe it is, this is a big deal. So what does it mean? Well, I, first it means that the Holy Spirit is here and is available to all who will have him. The Holy Spirit like is here and here and available. Two, it means that God is not limited by language or location or person. When he, want to make himself, when he wants to make himself known, he's coming. And even if you don't speak the language, even if you're not in the right building, even if you're whatever, your heart is hard or you're distracted, nothing gets in his way. When the Holy Spirit is coming, he's coming. It means that the Holy Spirit is after renewal and revival. We look at Acts 2 and we think like, oh, that's the tongues passage. We should look at Acts 2 and be like, this is the evangelism passage. This is literally when God was like, okay, now everyone from countries all over the world is going to hear about Jesus go. This is what the Holy Spirit is after. Renewal, revival, people hearing about who God is. And finally, like, it means this, this is our story. As the church, like we're all here because a few thousand years ago, a big crowd of people from all over the world came to one place and happened to hear that Jesus is the Messiah, went back to their countries and told people. And here we are. Like this is our story. This is how we got here. The church is rooted in the movement and the power of the Spirit. Like you sitting here started with that. So what do we do? Like, like, what, if this is, like what do we do with all of this? And Peter, I mean, gives like the most straightforward, true, incredible instruction, repent. <laughs> repent, repentance is literally, it means to change your mind. So repent, like we confess where we have fallen short, where we're broken, where we need God and his salvation to intervene for us. We, we change our mind from believing this thing or this lie and we change it to saying yes to this truth that is of God. Be baptized. For those of us who haven't been baptized, it's a, it's a really helpful instruction. It is uh, an external or a public expression of a private decision. It's declaring with your body that the old is gone and the new has come. It's, it's just to communicate what God is already at work in in your heart. So be baptized. But there's actually something that we can't do that we need to acknowledge here. And it's in verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and, Peter, and, and asked Peter and the other disciples, what do we do? Our work is to change our mind, but God's work is to change our hearts. And until God cuts to our hearts, we aren't even able to ask, what do we do? It says they were cut to the heart and then they asked. And even after we ask, it is only by God's spirit that we are enabled to continue to live in participation with God's renewal and his holiness and his heart. So just like God used tongues by bypassing the minds of the disciples to speak something to the people who need to hear about Jesus that day, God in his mercy, his spirit bypasses our stubbornness, our ignorance, our confusion, and cuts straight to our heart and does the work of his renewal where it needs to start.
Which is not to say you need to turn off your mind because Peter gave an incredible invitation to the gospel. Jesus, or I'm sorry, Peter spoke directly to them with a logical explanation of how the Old Testament prophesied and looked towards a Messiah who would save people and reconcile them to God. Jesus fulfilled it. And his spirit is still alive and at work, continuing, furthering that work. You can use your brain, but God will cut straight to your heart. That's what the spirit does. So two weeks ago, when Dave introduced our series on the book of Acts, he said it was a travelogue for the gospel. He said, this is how, it can't, it can't, how the gospel can't stay put. It can't be put in chains. It can't settle down. It always has to keep spreading and moving. And as it does, it brings renewal and disruption because renewal always brings disruption. The book of Acts is not a thing that happened. It's a thing that's happening. And I think that is like the best possible explanation for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit cannot stay put. He cannot be put in chains. He doesn't settle down. He has to keep spreading and moving. And as he does, he brings renewal and disruption because renewal will always bring disruption. The Spirit falling on the people is not a thing that happened. It's a thing that's happening. So what do we do? <laughs> we say yes. And for all of us, saying yes is gonna mean something different. It might mean saying yes to repentance. That's for all of us. We all have things that we need to repent. We say yes to baptism. We say yes to the gifts of God. We say yes to the work of God. We say yes to his healing. We say yes to the truth of the gospel. We say yes to being clear communicators of what Jesus has done. We say yes to all the purpose. We say yes to all these things, all for the purpose of joining with God in his heart for renewal and redemption and salvation. So as we close, I just want to um, share one story with you guys. Um, last time I was here, I had the privilege of sharing a photo from my childhood. And I've decided that this will be a continuing thing we do together. <laughs> so um, when I was 13, I was bat mitzvahed. That's my dad. <laughs> Shout out to my mom for going to the King's Highway Library to scan this photo to me. <laughs> um, that's 13-year-old Melissa. Two weeks before my bat mitzvah, I went to Acquire the Fire. It's like a big Christian conference and lots. You can take the picture down. <laughs> like, I, I feel good, but I don't feel that good. <laughs> um, Two weeks before my bat mitzvah, I went to Acquire the Fire. It was this big youth conference, lots of Christian bands and speakers. And, um, and we're in the stadium arena, something large, lots of people. And the lights were off and the band was playing and everyone was like, eyes were closed and standing and their arms were raised and worshiping. And 13-year-old Melissa was a little judgmental. <laughs> and I just sat there and I was like, these guys are so dramatic. Oh my gosh, like, what, why are they all being so weird? Um, you know, just as 13-year-old Melissa was. And um, I had this thought in my head, like, you should just try it. And I was like, no, people think I'm weird. Like, I can't try it. I was like, no, just, like, not I, but like this voice in my head. She's like, just try it. Like, you'll prove them wrong if they're crazy. Like, you'll know. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. So uh, it was like stadium seating, kind of like these. I was sitting on the back, on the top of my chair, 
and my feet were like on the seat of the chair. And like in as low key ways I possibly could, I like opened my hand. Like I didn't want anyone to think I was weird and my like arms were still on my, so maybe I'm just chilling, right? And like very slowly, like one finger at a time, like opened my hands. And as my hands opened, in what I can only explain is like essentially an audible voice heard, I love you. <laughs> and I like looked behind me, like I was ex like, what? Ah. And I kind of sat there for a second. I'm like, okay, let me just try it again. Let me just see, like maybe. And I was like really carefully. I didn't hear anything. And it didn't like unleash this like forever outpouring of constant words from the Lord. It didn't have to. It took that one second of saying yes, being uncomfortable, for God to just let me know, like, I want to know you. I really want you to know me. Like, I'm going to keep pursuing you even when you don't like it, even when it's uncomfortable. Um, it was the babiest of baby steps. And it would be like the first of like hundreds and hundreds more that I'm still working through today. But that's what God invites us to. His spirit will cut to your heart, but we have to say yes. God's not going to force it out of you. That's not his nature. He's, he loves you. He's, his desire is for you to respond. So this morning, would we say yes to whatever that baby step is for you? Maybe it's standing up. Maybe it's putting your hands up. Maybe it's kneeling. Maybe it's praying. Maybe it's repentance. Maybe it's baptism. But whatever it is, will we say yes so that we can continue the work that God has started for the sake of his kingdom and for the sake of this city. Will you guys stand with me? I'm gonna ask you guys, I know that there's like lines in the bathroom, but just like give it a hot 10 seconds. We'll get there. Would you close your eyes? Would you open your hands? As we pray, I, if you are ready, would you have a posture of being ready to say yes? Lord, we invite you to come and do something here that we don't have a plan for, that we don't have an expectation about, but that you in pursuit of us do. God, would you make, would you cut to our hearts? Get us out of the way so that we can see you, so that we can be with you, so that we can live in participation with your renewal, your heart, your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. This teaching was recorded live at Reality San Francisco. And as a part of our weekly gatherings, we move from teaching to responding to the Holy Spirit through prayer and a time of ministry. It's hard to capture that on a podcast, but we encourage you to pause and consider how the Holy Spirit might be inviting you to respond to what you've just heard. For more resources and details of how to join us on Sundays, please visit realitysf.com. May the peace of Christ be with you.